Is it standard? Does every RV really have one? Probably not. RVs are not part of the automotive industry. This is Eric Stark with the Smart RVer Podcast, delivering the smarts you need to enjoy the freedom of the RV lifestyle without the fear of breaking down. So here we are, Alexis, episode number 125. How are you today? I'm doing good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. Good. I'm ready to tear into this. <laughs> All right. So the first part of the show is living the RV life. And today we're going to talk about how to safely travel as a solo woman. So Alexis, what insights can you share with us on that? Yeah, this is a pretty cool subject because a lot of people are traveling solo these days. First tip is I think a really important one, use the virtual buddy system. So keep your friends, your family informed on where you are, where you're going, where you're going to be and at what time. So they know where you are. You don't want to, you know, head out, get lost, lose signal and nobody come looking for you. So let people know where you are. Right. Last week was the week long virtual RV summit put on by Stuart Takahara at um, rvdreaming.net. Right. And that's one of the things he talked about that he does in one of his discussions that he has people along the way that he contacts or keeps in contact with. And sometimes they do electronically. Sometimes it's a phone call, but there's different ways of doing it. Yes. Just letting someone know either I'm coming to visit you or this is where I'm going next uh -huh. and I should be there. So that's mm -hmm. a great idea. It is. <laughs> so what other points can you share? Well, just for safety reasons too, don't go too far off the well-beaten path. That's just a good tip in general. Um, you don't want to get out somewhere, again, get lost. Maybe there's some creepy person out there or animals that you shouldn't be around. So just staying where it's more populated, where it's a little safer is just a smart idea. Right. And things are changing, but things have always been kind of different out. If you're out in the middle of nowhere or someplace, not a lot of people, you do have to be more cautious. Yeah. And <laughs> throughout my life, I've had some interesting experiences with people out in the desert and mountains camping, especially as a solo woman, you know, you need to be more cognizant because unfortunately you are a target or yeah. more of a target. Okay. Now, what other point can you bring out, Alexis? For one, changing up your routine, like we were talking about, that's what people watch for. So don't stick to the same thing every day. Change it up a little, um, you know change up what you're doing, to keeping your keys handy at all times. This is a good tip. Um, we've seen people come in the store, they wear their keys around their wrists or their necks, and it's just a good idea to be able to make a quick escape from human or animal. <laughs> right. That's great. Yeah, change up your routine. Mm -hmm. They're very important, keeping those keys handy, mm -hmm. you know. It's being alert is really what that is yeah. and being aware that there is the potential for something and people watch routines, nefarious people watch routines yes. and they target people who have a routine. It's much easier to do that way. Isn't that what ba or bank robbers do? They watch the bank and see exactly. what the routines are. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so you're just a miniature bank, right? <laughs> oh. All right. Should someone have like an exit plan when they're camping or, or heading someplace or out walking type of thing? Yeah, I think that's super smart. Wherever you end up going, wherever your destination is, take a few minutes to look around at your surroundings, figure out, okay, where am I going to go if this happens? How am I going to get out of here the fastest? That's just a good way to be, whether you're alone or with your family even. I mean, having an exit plan is always smart. Right, very good. 
Now, here's the point I like is carrying some protection. Now, do you recommend like a 44 or a 357 Magnum? What's the flavor here? <laughs> I mean, personally, probably not. I, I, you know, pepper spray can do just as well as, as anything to protect you. So maybe having that on you is a good idea. I think you were saying something about having wasp spray. <laughs> like wasp hornet type spray. Smart. Because the distance of it. Yep. And so if you're sitting in your campsite, you have a can near you or in the RV, you know, you got a long shot with it. It cleans up fairly yeah. easy too. Yeah. That's and smart. that'll disable that person. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> and also carrying a stick of chapstick. There you go. Put it in your, in your hand when you make a fist. That way you won't break your fingers. Good tip. Simple, but real. And that's for guys too, you know, a little chapstick, something, a knife, <laughs> a roll of pennies. Well, no. A folding knife. You need to hold it in your hand. Right, right, right. <laughs> not going to stab the person. <laughs> All right. So I think that covers it. So it's not, we're, we're not trying to, you know, um, deter any women from traveling by themselves. In fact, it's becoming, I think, more of a trend these days. So it's yeah. being more cautious. And sometimes it seems like the more people do that, the bad people realize that, oh, here, there's some easy targets. Let's go look at that. So it's just being cautious and, and keeping alert to different things. All right, so now that's going to take us to our next section, staying on the road. So this is the part that we're going to dig into this. Is it standard? Does every RV really have one? Probably not. RVs are not part of the RV industry. Now, why do I say that? Why do I ask those questions and make that comment? Well, let's get into it and we're going to find out. Some of the things that we hear quite often are every RV has one. It is a standard item. Why can't you get it? They're all over the internet. Every RV I've owned has had the same one. And we've heard those statements over and over again. And, you know, for 30 years, you hear the same statements. You wonder, are they correct? Are they incorrect? Well, it's a yes and no answer to that. When it, when it really gets down to it, not every RV standard, not every RV is going to have one, but let's just break this down a little bit. On, and we're going to dig into how the RV industry works, and hopefully it's going to bring everybody closer to the same page in a not-so-organized or standardized industry. You know, the RV industry is not the automotive industry, and sometimes we compare it to it or try to, but it's not. Now, first, let's break down a couple of differences. A dealership that sells RV um, that sells RVs versus a parts and service center. So we'll call it a dealership versus a service center. Okay. So a dealership sells certain brands. They sell them day in, day out. The longer they sell them, the more familiar they become with each brand, and typically have a good feel for what service parts to carry for that specific brand. They also have a relationship with the manufacturer of that brand as well. That does give them a home court advantage for looking up parts for the RVs that they sell. Now, if it's an RV they don't sell, they probably won't have a way to look anything up. And dealerships typically are your warranty center for a new RV. That's really where the majority of, or what I feel the majority of people go back to a dealership for is warranty. Now, if it's a good dealership and you're comfortable with them, you might go back for repairs down the road. Okay, now an RV parts and service center, also known as a service center, 
deals with many brands. It's kind of like a general repair automotive shop. They deal with Ford, Chrysler, Chevy, whatever. That's what a, a service center does. They might not get every type of RV in there, but they get a lot of them. So a service center has a more difficult time becoming familiar with all the brands because they're working on everything, but they don't get them in day in and day out the same ones. They might get some of the same ones pretty regularly, so they start to understand them a little bit more, but they're not getting the same ones all day, every day. So it makes it harder to know about certain problems that brand might have, something that's common maybe among the brand owners, this dealer, the service center might not know unless someone informs them about it or they have enough experience with it. Now, a service center, on the other hand, becomes very familiar with a lot of the appliances and the components on an RV or the RV parts in general because they're dealing with all of that. The brand, the house portion of it, typically is not where the problems lie. Sometimes they do, but it's more of the appliance and the parts that make it all work. And so they deal with real-world, out-of-warranty problems. Service centers usually have no way to look up a brand-specific or a brand-specific parts like a new RV dealership does. So there's a difference there. They can look up appliance parts and other non-brand-specific items that might not fall directly under appliance parts. They're usually good at, bringing, or at figuring out how to overcome obstacles. Dealerships tend to fall short in that area. A service center, they're going to overcome it because that's their bread and butter is, is fixing your RV. So sometimes you might feel like you're getting a lot of runaround when you try to buy a part or have your RV serviced. And you might be, but let's assume you're not. And let me explain why you might feel this way. It can be a lack of understanding of how each party views and communicates the situation. The parts guy should listen and ask questions. Now, Alexis, do I ask a lot of questions when people are asking for parts and stuff? Yes, you do. Drives them crazy sometimes, right? <laughs> so some of these questions, you, they, they will ask questions. If they're not asking questions, they're not listening. He should listen and ask questions and understand that not every RV owner is a parts guy. There's not a parts guy. You know, the RV owner doesn't understand what it's like to be on the other side of the counter. So the parts guy has to understand that. So in other words, the parts guy has more knowledge than the RV owner in a lot of cases about the RVs or the parts that are being discussed. So he has to recognize that. That's where the listening and questions come in. Now, the RV owner, on the other hand, they know what their RV has on it, and that is what they see. So they don't see anything different than other than what's in front of them. So the parts guy sometimes might ask questions getting away from that. The RV owner wants to steer it back. So it's that communication thing. So it could also be that the RV owner sees what's in front of them and assumes all RVs have the exact same appliances and components, not realizing there could be several brands and a multitude of models for each brand. So that's where the questions come in. And explaining to a customer sometimes, you know, there's more than one model. You know, I understand it's a suburban furnace, but there's more than one suburban furnace. The RV owner maybe has had, let's say, five RVs. So all five RVs have had any manual awnings. So it's understandable that the RV owner would think that every RV has the same type of awning on it from the factory, when in actuality, they don't. 
So that's where that communication comes in, misunderstandings, because the RV owner just assumes that every RV has that particular thing on it because they've had, that's their experience. And so then they kind of get maybe uh, a little frustrated because you're asking questions. And then the comments come out like every RV has one, it's standard. You know, every RV I've ever owned has had the same thing on it. See, that's not helpful. It might be true, but it's not helpful. And then that frustration kicks in and the parse guy probably isn't going to want to help you at that point, unfortunately. So that patience comes in. I mean, heck, even I lose my patience once in a while. <laughs> so it's not either party. It's really just that communication, trying to bring it together. So in the automotive industry, you can look up parts for a car that was built in the 70s. You know, you got a 1970 Nova. You can go to O'Reilly's or AutoZone and ask for um, an air filter. They're just going to get out their book, look it up, no problem. And now some parts might not be available, but it'll have a part number or it'll say obsolete or something like that. But you can still look things up for that car. So RVs are not like that. Now dealerships have better odds of looking up parts when an RV is newer. But as time goes by, the ability to look up anything for an RV diminishes. So an, also another thing to consider is that over time, an RV will change from the way it came from the factory. So for example, from the factory, it might have come with a Dometic refrigerator. And somewhere along the line, that refrigerator failed and the owner put in a new refrigerator and maybe it was a Norcold. For that matter, it could have been a Dometic, just a different model, but it's not the same refrigerator. So if you had a, a way to look up that RV, a guide, let's say, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be accurate at this point because it would be showing, a, a, let's say, a Dometic RM2652, where now it has a 2862 or, or a Norcold in whatever. So the guide wouldn't be accurate. So it wouldn't be of any help. And a lot of people don't understand that. Well, can't you just look it up? Well, that's a great question and we wish we could, but it doesn't work that way. Or maybe the RV didn't come with an air conditioner and somewhere along the line later on, someone put one on. Now the guide wouldn't know that. See on cars, if you buy an AC compressor for your car, you know, let's say your 1990 Buick Riviera, needs a new AC compressor. It doesn't matter where you go to buy it, it's going to be the same compressor. It's going to work the same way. It might not be the same brand, but it'll work the same way. So there's a difference with RVs. The car will always have an AC compressor on it. It's going to be, and if you have to replace it, you can just go buy another one. It'll fit. It's, it's just different. I might not be explaining that right, but that's just the way it works. Now, the parts guy also might expect you to understand how the RV industry works because you're an RVer and you know, the assumption would be you'd get this, you know, you've bought enough stuff and you know how it works, but that's not the case. You're an RVer, you're using the RV. The industry is there to support you and you're not expected to know it. At least you shouldn't be. And that's how I feel about it. They might feel that way. And I guess that could be understandable. You know, it's just an assumption. Um, sometimes not really thinking it through. So with that being said, they probably only know the world that they actually work in. You know, they're within this industry. It's nothing like the automotive industry, which, you know, it's what most people are used to. So it's no wonder why it can be challenging to get parts and repairs done. So let alone getting answers to simple questions. So, you know, they're stuck in this world and they can't see beyond it and they don't know beyond it. Even if they own an RV, it's not the same. 
when you own an RV and you're in the RV industry, it's just, you look at it different. It's just done different. It's not a big deal. You just look things up or oh, this is what my RV needs. Cause you just know it because it's your RV. So sometimes, you know, the RV parts guy has to look outside the box, start thinking outside the box and the RVer needs to understand that it's a parts guy and he's in his little world. Now, a lot of RVs or most RVs you could say have very similar items such as refrigerators, water heaters, and let's say water pumps. And as a category, they could be standard. So that could be a standard type of item on an RV. Now, I always say the only thing that's truly standard on our RV is that the tires are black, okay? <laughs> black tires are standard. Sizes are a whole different ball game. So those things could be standard on most RVs, you know, not brand specific, just the item itself. For example, every RV might have a water heater, but are all RV water heaters the same? No, they're not. Every RV might have a furnace, but are all furnaces the same? No, they're not. Now, the vast majority of RVs over the decades have come with a 2.9 gallon water pump or something similar to a 2.9 gallon. It might have been a 3, a 2.8. It's fluctuated over time, but they've been pretty much the same style water pump. And they've pretty much been the SureFlow brand. So SureFlow is a popular brand, but when it comes to the water pump, it's kind of like the AC compressor for that Buick Riviera. Almost any water pump that's made for an RV today will replace a SureFlow and vice versa. SureFlow will replace any other water pump. So that's one of those items that it's standard and pretty much you don't need to know a lot about it. I need a water pump for my RV. You know, 98% of the time it's going to be a SureFlow 2.9 gallon or another similar one that's 2.8, 2.9, 3 gallons per minute. So that's a very easy thing to deal with. But that's not the case with everything on an RV, like a suburban water heater. Well, there's a lot of different models of suburban water heaters. I don't know how many there are. There's hundreds at least. You know, it goes on and on and on. So a water pump is one of the few things, like a door latch, you know, or some things like that. But even those, there's different lengths of them. So it's, it's always a, a, a game where you have to bring in a sample or uh, take pictures, make measurements, because things can't be looked up by the RVs. Now, there are some items on an RV that can be upgraded, downgraded to, to make a similar item work in its place. You know, like, let's say a door latch, you know, for the entrance door. Maybe it has a really long one on there, 10 inches, and it's just crazy. For some reason, someone did that. Maybe that's all they can get that day. And they just put it on there and... See, that's where that fit chart wouldn't even work, right? And it really needs to be six inches. So you downgrade that basically to a six inch one. Not every item on an RV can be readily purchased in your local RV store. And there's a reason why. And you've probably seen that. You go into the store and some of them, they just don't have the parts all the time that you need. A dealership is different. They're going to have a different inventory than a parts store because they sell units. So they're going to have an inventory of parts for the units that they sell regularly. An RV store purchases their products from a distributor. They don't buy them online at Amazon or eBay. They're going through distribution channels and they supply what are known as the aftermarket stores. A brick and mortar RV parts and accessory store is an aftermarket store. Camping World is an aftermarket store. And your local dealers are the same way. They're an aftermarket store, but they also have the, the, uh, the new components for RVs. So it expands their inventory a little bit. 
some of these parts just never really that come on an RV. Let me back up. Some of these parts that come on an RV that you think a store should have because you've seen several RVs with it, and maybe and you're thinking, well, every RV has one. That might not be the case. And so a lot of parts that come on an RV do not trickle out to the stores, whether it's a service center or even a dealer. And that goes back to what has been said in the automotive industry for decades. You know, when I was a Cadillac mechanic, um, there were some parts we just couldn't get. And now we bought from a dealership. But there were some things that we just flat out couldn't get for new cars. It was a dealer item only. And it's the same with Ford, GM, Toyota, Ferrari, whoever. There are some things that will only come from them and they're dealer items. And it's the same in the RV industry. There are some things that will only come from Winnebago. They'll only come from Fleetwood. They'll only come from whoever. So keep that in mind. So the point of this entire discussion here is for you as the RVer to understand how the RV industry works. So you have better insight into how things work at a store, whether it's for the better or worse, you have some insight. And it's not that you as the RV owner are the bad customer. I would say that generally the parts guy is the bad guy <laughs> because they're not listening and understanding and trying to see things from your vantage point. They're there to serve you. Now we have to work together though. If you want your RV fixed or that new part, sometimes we have to work together. So communication is just, it's, it's key between you and the parts guy. And it's just not, it, this isn't just isolated to the RV industry. It's everywhere. You know, I went to a local electronics store here the, a while back looking for an adapter for a computer and the guy didn't want to listen to what I said. He said, nope, that part's not available. Let me show you what I have. He shows me like the, you know, $70 part versus the $5 part. But yeah, you don't even want these. They're not going to work for you. You know, they're, what you want isn't made. So I went online and bought it elsewhere because that was the only store in town. I didn't have a choice and I didn't get it from Amazon. So... <laughs> The point is, it happens everywhere. Some places it just feels worse or it seems more obvious that there's a, a communication gap. All right, so hopefully that helps. That makes everybody understand this a little bit more. And I know it's kind of not the normal staying on the road type thing we're talking about maintenance, but this is indirectly related to that maintenance and keeping your RV on the road. So hopefully it helped. All right, that was some good information. Now... We're coming to the destination part of the show, the next stop. And today we're going to visit Wall Drug, South Dakota. Oh, yay. So, hey. Alexis, what is going in at, on at Wall Drug, South Dakota? Actually, that's a drug store. It is. And what's the name of the city? Um, Wall. <laughs> Wall. There you go. <laughs> I, know, I love that. That's clever. Very clever, right? I've actually been there personally, and it was really, really fun. My dad and I went on a, a road trip once, but yeah, there's a lot to do there. It, they've turned the drugstore, the famous drugstore, into kind of a strip mall. It's huge, actually. Um, there's a lot to do in it. There's a donut shop. They kind of are famous for that. They have dinosaurs everywhere. There's a gift shop. There's just a lot in there to do, to see. <laughs> You know, there's something about this part of the country where you see Bigfoot things everywhere. <laughs> yeah. The um, yeah, the one gas station. Uh, I can't think of the name of it right now. But they got the dinosaurs in front. Okay, yeah, um, I know what you're talking about. 
green. I can't think of the name. They're everywhere. It's a popular yeah. brand. Well, everywhere up here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's unique. The it dinosaurs, is. right on. Oh yeah, tons. So wall drug is pretty popular. It's one of those things. If you're driving through South Dakota nearby, you'd want to definitely stop. Yeah, I think so. And there's more to do around there, but. Mm-hmm. As far as like once you're also there in a wall, is there other things to do besides um, hang out at the drugstore all day? Right. They kind of have like a backyard area for kids. That's kind of smaller. But there's also a little town. It's called the 1880 Town. And that's really cool. They set that up to be like a period um, tour. So they they set everything up to where it would pretty much be like you were in 1880. Um, and you can go around to the different little storefronts and there's houses and there's horses it's really cool you can go and take a little tour and yeah it's kind of fun to do it takes some time yeah (laughs) how people lived back then exactly life was like it's very different yeah exactly so what about eating and um well and eating (laughs) well there's not a whole lot there it is a very small town but there's a couple one is the bad badland saloon and grill that just offers you know burgers and all that kind of stuff (laughs) And then there's the Waldrug restaurant, which I believe in my research burned down once. And I don't know if they have it going again. I think they do. Right. But we'll see, I guess, if you go. An old fashioned <laughs> saloon, you kick the doors in, draw, and right. shoot someone. That's right. <laughs> uh, maybe not. Taking it too far, but that's, uh, so that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it is a small town. So yeah, I wouldn't expect yeah. too much. And what about camping if you bring your RV there? Yeah, there's, there's plentiful um, camping spots. Um, one of them, though, an RV park is the Sleepy Hollow Campground and RV Park. That's a really nice one. Um, the Sage Creek Campground is also one that allows RVs. And then there's the Badlands Boondocking area, which is actually really cool. It's got a beautiful view, and but it is very off the you know off the grid as far as technology and hookups go. But if you're looking for just an overnight, you're Good to go in that area. <laughs> right, nice. So what time of year is the best time to go? Um, Probably May to July. I mean, that's kind of a busier season, too, but it's nice there. Really, anytime you want to go, you know, if you want to tackle the roads, you can get over there. Okay, cool. All right, so there you go. Wall Drug, South Dakota. I mean, Wall, South Dakota. Visit Wall Drug while you're there. Well, that's the only reason to go there. Gotta go. So it's, you know, might be out of your way, you know, but look at the map as you're going somewhere or trying to decide where to go if you can incorporate it's a great place to visit yeah and so i want to remind everybody to share this podcast with everybody especially the the part about you know that understanding how the rv industry works and also we're coming into that time of year or that time of year is upon us if you're uh, traveling in a freightliner m2 or s2 rv or a mercedes sprinter at sun pro manufacturing make windshield covers for those and they're awesome. You can see out. People can't see in. They provide that needish uh, privacy and keep it cooler in the hot summer months, especially in the hotter areas where you really need it. Um, so check that out at sunpromfg.com. There'll be a link to it in the description of the podcast as well. Now that brings us to RV Envy. So having an RV that everybody envies is kind of cool, but that could cost a fortune. <laughs> Or you have to find something really old and retro and totally deck it out, make it cool looking. But there's other ways to just have a nice RV with all the little gadgets that everybody loves or wishes they had that they're envious of. So today, we're going to talk about Magnadyne Internet. Now, we just did a video on this. Yeah. 
and it should be out. Yeah, it's out. It'll be out by the time this podcast is out. We record everything ahead. That's why I'm hesitating here. But yes, it will be. Thinking out loud, as they say. <laughs> so Magnadyne is a company who sells a lot of things to the RV manufacturers. And Magnadyne Internet, their their internet system, antenna system, comes what can come on some RVs. It's already prepped for it. So all you have to do is buy the rest of the components and make that internet come alive. When it's prepped for it, you get um, TV reception and AMF and reception. So that's basically what you're going to get if your RV is already prepped. But if you want to add internet to it or Wi-Fi or Wi-Fi and internet, you can go to magnadyne.com and they sell the systems there. And I think that's about the only place you're going to be able to buy them. And their stuff rocks. Yeah, we've done their camera, their internet. They've sent us USB uh, ports, which those are kind of basic. But everything they have seems to be really good, and it works well, and it's designed for the RVer, and that's what's important. And their internet is a good internet system. Yeah. So it's definitely worth looking into if your RV is prepped. And I wouldn't even think about switching to a WineGuard system or anything else if it, if it came prepped with the Magnadyne. Yep. It's already wired. Just go ahead and use everything that's there, add the functionality that you need, and boom, you're done. Now, keep in mind, when you add internet to an RV, doesn't matter who, what brand it is, you're going to have a monthly fee that goes along with it. So keep that in mind. Yep. So for more information about that, you can go to magnadyne.com. And also, if your RV didn't come pre uh, prepped for internet, you can always add their system to your RV. It's one of those things as well. And it's a do-it-yourself uh, thing. It's not that difficult. It takes more time just running wires, but it's not a complex deal. Even though it's the internet, it's just plugging things in. Um, it's like setting up a new computer, just plugging some stuff in. Not a big deal. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the show today. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening to the show don't forget to share it with others so this is eric stark with the smart rvr podcast it's been great hanging out with you today if i don't see you on the road let's connect at the smart rvr.com <laughs>